This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Keely. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Heard It on the Sidelines. Heard It. Heard It on the Sideline with Shotgun Spratly. Spratly. Welcome to another edition of the Herded on the Sidelines podcast with Shotgun Spraddling. Thanks again to Keely and Chris for the intro, and thanks to everyone for joining us. For the newcomers out there, the Herded on the Sidelines podcast is part of the Peristyle podcast family. On this podcast, we discuss what's going on at USC, but also try to pull back the curtain to give you an insider's perspective from the people around the Trojans' athletic programs. Today on our episode, we're returning to the scene of the crime, virtually heading back to Indianapolis. I say we're heading back to the scene of the crime because we talked to grad assistant and former USC guard Desmond Farmer, who was in Indianapolis with the team last week, but also because of the beatdown USC put on Kansas on Monday. I think it's illegal in at least 34 states. 34. That would be, oh, Kansas was the 34th state to join the Union. The number of points the Trojans also won by in that game, handing Blue Blood Kansas its worst loss in the NCAA tournament history and his third worst loss in Kansas basketball program history. Just put it on them, completely throttled them. The Trojans saved their best performance for the NCAA tournament. They won 85-51 to to the advance to the, the Sweet 16 behind 17 points from Isaiah Mobley, who knocked down four three-pointers in the first half. We're back in Indianapolis because that's where the USC basketball team remains in a quote-unquote controlled environment, semi-locked up in a hotel. They did get to go to the Indianapolis Zoo on Tuesday. They'll do a couple more events as well this week, a little bit different because they're in the Sweet 16. You get more perks as well than when you're just joining the tournament. However, they're not complaining about being in the hotel since there's 52 teams that have already been sent home with their championship hopes dashed while the Trojans head into the Sweet 16. Let me repeat that. USC... The Trojans are heading to the Sweet 16. First time since 2007 for them. USC defeated first four winner Drake by 16 in the opening round and then dismantled the Jayhawks with an unreal defensive effort while shooting 57% from the floor and knocking down 11 of 18 three-pointers. The six-seeded Trojans advanced to play on Sunday against Oregon, number seven seed, who throttled number two seed Iowa Monday. The Ducks and Trojans are two of four Pac-12 teams to make the Sweet 16 as the little conference that could is showing it can play some basketball as well. Number 12 seed Oregon State and number 11 seed UCLA are both alive as well in the tournament. We'll talk with USC guard Drew Peterson. He'll touch on the Pac-12. We'll talk to him about heading to the Sweet 16, the Trojans' unreal defense the last two games, and if he packed enough clothes for a trip that's now approaching two weeks long after the stay in Vegas and now to Indianapolis, Drew also talks with us about choosing to come to USC, how his expectations have changed for himself throughout the season. And a little bit later, we'll actually have Chris and Keeley join us as we answer some of your basketball questions. But first, I want to start with two positives and a negative. Since we're talking USC basketball, the number one thing that that stands out has been the defensive effort. It's been the most impressive part of USC's first two wins. They've hounded, hassled, and harassed Drake in Kansas. They're holding those two opponents both to under 30%. Drake started 10 for 18 in the game shooting. They took a brief lead. 
But since then, those two teams combined to shoot 25% on 112 field goal attempts since then. So their defense has been super impressive so far. Our second positive is confidence. We'll talk about this with Drew Peterson, about the Trojans, how they're playing with an incredible amount of confidence right now. Isaiah Mobley mentioned it a couple days ago as well. A switch has turned on in the NCAA tournament, and the Trojans are playing their best basketball, and confidence is a big part of that for them. The negative. They're facing off against a Pac-12 school. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that definitely a Pac-12 team will emerge and advance to the Elite Eight. However, the NCAA could have definitely set this up. The number one team and the number two team in the Pac-12 should not be meeting ever in a Sweet 16. They should meet in Elite Eight, maybe. They should meet in a Final Four, sure, but not in a Sweet 16. One, they shouldn't have been put in the same quadrant together so that they could potentially match up when there's an entire region the South region of the bracket has no Pac-12 teams in it. There's only five, so why did why did you not put one in each of them and then separate the two in the other one? I know seating has a little bit to do with it, but when you have an entire region, that means that there can't be. There's no reason why a number six seed or a number seven seed they couldn't have switched them out with USC to put them USC or Oregon and put them in that region so that they were split up. Instead, they'll face off. There's some familiarity there. There's a chip on each of their shoulders. Isaiah Mobley talked about that a little bit too. Stirred up some. Some Twitter conversation, at least, some message board posts by saying that they stole the championship, the Oregon Ducks did, of the Pac 12 regular season championship. You know, he says that USC's got a chip on their shoulder from that. The Ducks will have a chip on their shoulder from that comment, but also because USC handled in, them in that one. So we'll see how that matchup plays out. Ton on the line in this game, but let's get right into it. We'll now bring in our guest. Drew Peterson, USC guard, helping the Trojans get to the Sweet 16. Quite a run the first weekend. Drew, what has this experience been like? I mean, you guys have been in a quote-unquote controlled environment, but to be able to go and represent for USC and, and to be able to take the team, take the Trojans to their first Sweet 16 since 2007, what has this experience been like for you so far? Yeah, it's definitely crazy with all the stuff going on. You know, we're getting COVID tests every day and outside of practice and getting our meals. We're basically sitting in our rooms because uh, of lockdown. But, you know, it's all worth it. We all know what's at stake here. And so it, it makes it all the much uh, better when we come out and play like that. We switched hotels. We're back to kind of hanging out in our rooms. But we're really excited to uh, continue in the tournament. Yeah, how do you feel about another week in the ho- in a hotel? I mean, you guys are basically living the hermit life, just bouncing around from hotel to hotel, from Vegas to Indianapolis. Now you got a new hotel for for the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, what's that experience been like being on the road for a full two weeks almost? Yeah, I mean, it feels like an NBA schedule. It's just uh, we've been out for so long. You know, I don't mind it because I'm from the Midwest, so you know, I got a lot of family at these games, uh, these recent games, but. It's definitely pretty unique, and I've never been on a road trip this long uh, for basketball. It's cool, though. I mean, we've got the you know the end goal in sight. It's the home stretch of the season, so we kind of have that to uh, you know keep our sanity. So it's just really cool. It's a really cool experience overall, and we're really so pumped to uh, you know get to the Sweet Sixteen and hopefully the Elite Eight and on from there. The big question, though, is did you pack enough clothes? I mean, I know you guys aren't being able to go out and do anything much. I know, I know, I think you guys got to go to the zoo today, and there's a couple activities planned for you guys during the week. But what's kind of the travel bag like when you, you think you're just going to Vegas and then you know you're going to go to Indianapolis after that? You got to kind of plan at least a week on the road. Now it's spanning to two weeks. How, how do you, uh, you know, prepare for, uh, for that trip? 
Yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, we just had to get all of our clothes uh, washed this morning. We just got a bag. Um, that was what my parents were worried about last night. They were asking me about it. And so we put all of our laundry in a bag and uh, not sure where that went, but gave it to the staff. Um, and we got a few new pairs of shoes. So we're all struggling to get our clothes from hotel to hotel because we get so much new stuff and obviously all the March Madness gear. So it's definitely a struggle with all that stuff, but we're getting by. We're definitely getting by. I don't think you're complaining too much about it. Uh, you guys are coming off a 35, 34 point beatdown on a blue blood program, Kansas, you know, a team that you being from the Midwest, I know you know all about the Kansas history there, uh, being from Illinois and then going to Rice where you spent your, your first couple years of college, you know, in Big 12 country there. Could you ever have imagined putting on a, a show like you guys did last night against a team like Kansas? Uh, it was definitely shocking, to say the least. Um, you know, we come in confident at every game. Obviously, we expect to win, and we knew Kansas was going to be a tough matchup because they're, you know, three seed and they've been good all season. But, you know, we were hitting the shots at the right times, and we were physical, and our zone was really, you know, engulfing. And when that happens and the cards kind of play that way, you, you see results like this. I think, I'm not sure, but I think it was our biggest win of the season, uh, point total wise. I'm not really positive on that, but. You know, it's crazy to do that against, you know, a historic program, uh, you know, with Bill Self and the Blue Blood Kansas program. I think the beatdown of Stanford may have been a couple points more than that, but definitely, you know, up there with it, uh, a tremendous victory for you. Was there a point when you looked up to the scoreboard and it kind of took you back when you saw the lead? Because I know when you're in the game, you're playing, hey, things are going well, you feel good. But was there a time when you kind of glanced up at the scoreboard and you're like, oh my goodness, we're up by that much? Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, even at halftime, I didn't really think it was that crazy of a lead just because, you know, 19, you know, it's half, you know, you can always regather and then make a push and all of a sudden it's seven or eight points. Um, but when we started hitting shots early in the, you know, they, they kind of had a little push in the first couple minutes, but we were really res- uh, responding with threes of our own and ended up, I think, uh, still up 19 after the first media. But I think, you know, we just kept hitting threes and kept forcing them into tough shots and, you look up and it's getting to 25 and then 28. And I'm just looking around like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, it could just be a regular season game where, you know, it doesn't really matter, but I mean, we're in like, you know, the round of 32 and we are just, you know, everything's full steam ahead. And, you know, it, it was just a, a crazy feeling overall. And I think you could see that with the reactions uh, during the game from us. Yeah. The, the reactions on the bench were great. Uh, you know, seeing Desmond Farmer and Nick Hamilton, some of the assistants on the bench jumping up and, and flying around. There's some great reactions from the, the bench players as well. What was the reaction like in the locker room and maybe after you guys got back to the hotel? Tell me about that celebration. Be able to punch your ticket to, to go to the Sweet 16. Yeah, I mean, we were crazy excited. It was. Uh, it's not one of those games where you hit a buzzer beater and everyone's going crazy. It's just kind of like, um, you know, we went to the locker room, we got all the water bottles, we're throwing them everywhere. And uh, after kind of everything died down, we just kind of sat there a little bit and like, wow, like, did that really just happen? Like, you know, it was just <laughs> complete decimation from, you know, beginning to end. And we, we got back to the hotel, we stamped our sticker on the, the board, moving to the next round. And so everyone was just kind of like, you know, in awe of the situation a little bit because, you know, we knew we were good, but uh, we really came out and, you know, proved something uh, last night. Yeah, what do you think this team has showed in the first two NCAA tournament games? And maybe even what have you shown yourself with the performance that you guys put up last night? Yeah, no, I mean, especially, you know, you're seeing the Pac-12 all do well. 
Um, you know, we're starting to get a little bit more of the respect that we deserve out here in the West Coast. And, uh, you know, especially with uh, us just in general, you know, we were, we felt the most dominant team in the Pac-12 all season. And we really proved it um, now against, uh, you know, what was supposedly the, you know, best conference all year, the Big 12, one of the top teams in that conference. So it's just awesome to get a group effort like it is. I think that's what makes our team so good is just, Anyone can step up on a daily basis. Like we got Isaiah Mobley hitting threes. I think Shaw Staddy's got more threes in March than he did the, the whole season. So <laughs> when we really get get all of our guys going like that, it's just uh, it's it's really tough to stop us. And I think you know we've got some great momentum heading into the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, that's one of the things I've said all season is when you guys knock down shots. You're one of the best teams in the nation, and you can probably beat anyone because your defense has been so good. You struggled a little bit early in the game against Drake. You struggled a little bit, uh, or excuse me, you struggled a little bit during a stretch against Drake. You struggled a little bit early in the game against Kansas. You know when things didn't start rolling. Um, you know what's kind of what kind of switches for you guys to get things rolling when when guys start knocking down shots. Yeah, I think it's just um, kind of the momentum of our defense leads into our offense. Mm -hmm. You know, we're forcing guys into tough shots. We kind of knew early on. Um, I think, it was, you know, it was a pretty low-scoring first 10 minutes, but we knew that we were getting the stops we needed and our shots would uh, start falling because we were getting good looks. Um, I think that was kind of the difference was we were forcing them into really tough shots. where we were getting our looks, we just weren't knocking them down. So, you know, when those start falling, you know, the momentum just keeps going and uh, more confident as we go. And, you know, everyone kind of had a share yesterday where everyone was knocking down threes and everyone was just enjoying kind of the parade as we went in that <laughs> second half. So it was just definitely a historic win, um, I thought, for, you know, the season and the program in general. Yeah, one of the things, it, it seems like everyone kind of played their role last night and maybe even took their game a little bit uh, above where, where it's been and throughout the season. Isaiah Mobley, I asked him about this the other day, you know, about finding your role. He said that he's kind of, he feels like he's gotten into his role and knows what it is now. How difficult was it to kind of figure out what everyone's role was going to be with the off season that you guys had where, you know, with the local restrictions, you weren't able to do much as far as, you know, team on court activities. And then even with yourself having the NCAA waiver and not being sure if you're going to be cleared or not, how difficult was it to kind of figure out what individuals' roles were going to be? And then even with Ethan Anderson going out with the back injury, how did those things kind of shift throughout the season? And where do you see this team at now as far as everyone knowing their role? Right. You know, I think it's just one of those years where um, you can't get too, uh, you know, caught up in all that stuff. It's such a unique situation where, yeah, like you said, there's no off season. There's games that get canceled. Uh, we have that two-week break in the middle of the season because of COVID. It's just something where you got to have kids that are reacting on the fly and adjusting to quick circumstances like that. Instead of more of a proactive nature of a normal season, you got to be a little bit more reactive. So I think that's just what our staff has helped prepare us so well for and what the guys, you know, because you're, you're asking, you know, a bunch of 20, you know, 18 to 23-year-old kids for three months straight to stay indoors outside of practice, which is such a big commitment. And that's, that's just what um, I'm almost in awe of that, of how we were able to put together that many, a bit, like 15 different guys that were able to commit to, an important season and we knew what was at stake and we knew the talent level we had. And so it just makes the whole kind of process more fun as we go along and we've developed such a good chemistry and everyone's kind of engulfed the role, especially as we got late in the season. Um, it's a perfect time for everybody to really be clicking. So, um, and we get results like that. And now we're in the sweet 16 where, 
obviously there's speculation all year with Pac-12, but, you know, we're really proving ourselves on a country stage now. What is it about this group, that the, the team chemistry, can you compare it to some of the teams you've been on previously, whether it be high school or, or at Rice? Um, how different is this chemistry and the fact that you guys are basically only allowed to be around each other for this three-month stretch and you've been indoors, like you said? How has that kind of changed the dynamic within the team? I think it just led to a, um, a more important level of commitment needed as you go through the season. There's more at stake. Um, everyone knows, you know, you go out one night and you get COVID and you could potentially uh, cause us to miss four or five games. And so I think that's just led to a higher interest and in involvement and, you know, really locking down and focusing on the basketball season, which has led to, even as, you know, there's only four returners, uh, all the guys really cherishing that and cherishing every moment on the court that we have. Every moment that we get to make, just like last night, is so important to us. And it's, it really it just you know helps us get by, especially in the days where we're sitting in hotels for three weeks straight. So it's, just, it's awesome to see for our guys. And, and I'm curious, you, you said there's only four returners. Last year's team obviously had an opportunity to potentially go on a run as well. They, had, you know, they were playing really well going in. What have you heard about that 2020 team? And do you feel a similar responsibility as some of the other players? Isaiah Mobley has talked about uh, about how he had, he feels like there's a responsibility to those older guys that didn't get that opportunity. Do you guys feel that a little bit, you know, the newcomers that have come in? Yeah, definitely. You know, obviously we've seen, uh, you know, USC as a whole as a program over the last couple of years been on the rise. I know they were uh, kind of like us, uh, a game out of first place in the pack last year. You know, they put together another spectacular season, you know, you know, a build almost like us where they got, you know, a guy in the lottery, a lottery pick and, uh, you know, contributors like Nick and um, Jonah and stuff. And so we feel that, you know, it sucks for them, but we're hoping that we can prove something here in March to, uh, you know, almost certify that they were a legit team as well. Mm-hmm. And because uh, they have such a similar, uh, you know, kind of season to us so it's just we're doing anything we can to help the usc program especially uh just athletics in general throughout all this chaos that's going on so the more notoriety we can give just proof that we're you know the pac-12 as a whole too is a really legit conference in the country is you know a benefit to us so it's just it's awesome so the the whole process is just you know still so surreal for us so it's awesome that we're still playing while you know 90 percent of the teams in the country season are over Gaining notoriety, but I think you're also becoming notorious because uh, both the Drake and the Kansas, their players and their coaches, have talked in the post game about basically being flummoxed by by the defense's length. How unique do you feel like you guys are with the size and length you have? And especially you've gone to that zone a little bit more here in the tournament, the two three zone with you and Max, you know, on the wings and Chavez down there. Just everyone's so long and so tall. How unique do you think that is for teams to to go up against and, and face uh, in an NCAA tournament setting? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I've always been uh, obviously a guard and. Uh, you know, a tall guard just in general, six eight. But um, I always end up usually being the second or third tallest guy on the floor. And I mean, that's not the case here, where we have the tallest guy in the or tallest team in the country. And it's just crazy how small the court feels for the other teams, just from what I've heard. And it's just uh, you know, especially in that two three zone that we seem to be clicking on right now. It's just it's so cool, and it's honestly it, it relieves pressure off the individual it's more of a group effort when uh, everybody's hands are up and you got length that are just encompassing the whole 
the whole th- three point line in. So it's, it's definitely been a really unique experience with having such a lengthy team with that. Yeah. Engulfing, encompassing. There's a lot of words that it just seems like this, this defense is everywhere right now. You guys are flying around playing with a ton of intensity on the defensive end in particular. And like you said, when the defense starts rolling, it can turn into offense for you. I asked Taj earlier on the Hurt on the Sidelines podcast, and I believe Ethan as well, how do you guys sustain that intensity for 40 minutes? Because we'd seen stretches of it. I thought against Kansas, it was the first time we saw it just for the entirety of a game. You know, How does that become a constant? Is it just the moment, the fact that you know that you're in the NCAA tournament and you have to? What has it been like in the NCAA tournament? What has created that ability for you guys to have that intensity for, for the entirety of a game? Right, 100%. You know, I think uh, what March Madness brings is just uh, increased level of emotion and adrenaline you're playing with out there, which kind of makes, you know, I don't even sometimes notice, uh, you know, I'm playing, I think I played 34 minutes last night and I don't even feel tired just because I'm so <laughs> happy to be out there. And uh, I'm so, you're, you're just so involved in the game and you're, especially when you're getting momentum off making shots, you just feel like you got to do everything you can to, you know, ensure the success of the team and the program. And um, I just feel like, especially early in that Drake game too, I, I thought we were kind of forcing them into some tough shots, but you got guys like Yesu who were hitting those. And I feel like we've been doing that, you know, you know, even the Colorado game, the Pac-12 tourney, they hit like 12 threes on us, but we were forcing them into tough shots. So sometimes you get teams that hit all their shots and there's, there's little that the defense can do some nights, but I feel like we've just really stepped up our defensive game. Um, you know, even as we're, I don't know what number game this is, something like um, almost or 30 something, but uh, we're really clicking at the right time and giving all of our max effort possible um, when it's most needed. Yeah, I believe you guys are now 24 and 7 on the season, 31 games. You know, you're playing so well, you don't even realize how many games you're playing, I think is what the case is right now for you guys. Take me back, though, to your start in basketball. What's your basketball journey been like to end up at USC? You go from high school in Illinois to Rice and now USC. What went into that decision to, to leave Rice and choose USC as the future destination? Yeah, definitely. Uh... Uh, jo- enjoyed my two years at Rice, but we had a couple moving pieces after our last year where a couple guys left, and I thought it was kind of the best situation for me to leave as well, um, even though I, I, you know, I couldn't say anything bad about the program. Um, obviously, I think we saw with this year, they had a great year um, and won a couple conference games in the conference tournament this year, but when I inevitably decided to leave, um, I was kind of looking for a high academic school, big school, obviously committed to Minnesota briefly, mm-hmm. decommitted, and then uh, ended up at SC. It was just, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy with all the COVID stuff, and it didn't get to take an official visit, but felt comfortable with my SC de- decision, and obviously, you know, it means the world to me now as it worked out perfectly, and I feel like we have a really just unique dynamic on the team where all of our pieces work kind of perfectly together, which makes, you know, Evan is so unselfish with how he plays, and it you know, you don't. Some, you sometimes don't see that with a lot of those guys with big names, and it's just so perfect how we've got a blend of you know, eight to nine guys and fifteen total who just kind of all fit in their their roles, and it's it's just thriving at the right time for us. Yeah, what were your expectations for yourself when you were being recruited by USC? You know, I, I talked to you in the summer after you committed, and you said that you know if you have this year off and you don't get that waiver, then it could be a good thing. You'll just get stronger and, and you know work on your game. 
but then to get the waiver, what were kind of your expectations and how did it kind of maybe uh, change as you, you found out you're going to be able to play this season and then figuring out what your role was going to be for the team? Yeah, I think it was just crazy because, uh, you know, I came into the kind of process with, um, I've seen, you know, there's a lot of kids that transfer up from mid-major to high-major and it's, you know, it's, a t- it's not an easy task. Um, I saw that, you know, I got warned about it as I made my move because obviously you got to put in a lot of work to really, uh, you know, present yourself on a higher level now. And so, you know, kind of when I got to SC early, um, I was playing well and I felt really confident and comfortable, the best I've been playing in my life. And uh, I realized that I could, I could really do it. And so I was talking to the coaches early on and they were um, asking me about maybe applying for a waiver, but initially my, I was a hundred percent certain. I even, I remember having a conversation with my academic advisor about my potential ineligibility because of uh, not having enough credits because of transferring over and stuff like that. So I had to pick my major specifically to make sure I was able to play. And I told her, don't worry about it. Like there's no chance I play I zero and 10. <laughs> and then the NCA was rumored to, uh, you know, maybe get a free year. And then I kind of piqued my interest and stuff like that. Because uh, I initially just came in hoping to get, you know, 15 pounds on me before I really could, you know, try to make a name and help the program out uh, the following year. But when all that stuff kind of went through and we applied for a waiver, it kind of just fast-tracked into uh, me thankfully getting getting a big impact on the team early. And I couldn't have, uh, you know, I wouldn't have guessed a year ago I'd, we'd be in the spot, I'd be in the spot, but I mean – it's crazy how kind of the cards fall and uh, it all worked out. So I'm really just fortunate for that situation. Seems like everything's working well for you guys and everything's kind of rounding in and it seems like, you know, all the pieces are there. Just like you said, uh, one of the things throughout the season that changed was Ethan Anderson went down. How, how did things change when he went out? You know, he was a starting point guard and you guys kind of had a lineup around him. How different did the guard group and rotation change? Even for you, when he came back, there was a little bit of time where it just didn't seem like things were connecting perfectly for you guys, and you went through a little bit of a slump yourself. How did things kind of change with him going out and then returning, and how have you gained your confidence back to be playing at the level you're playing at now? Right. Yeah, when he went down, it was uh, really unfortunate for us. Obviously, he's one of our captains, and uh, we just tried to have a next-man-up mentality where – we knew we couldn't really um, lose any games with how important every game was, especially because you didn't know if you were going to have your next one because of COVID. Um, we had to make sure we didn't lose any uh, steam and any traction in the whole uh, you know, rankings and stuff like that as we go and just standings in general. So we were able to, you know, everyone was able to step up their roles and thankfully we got them back. Um, I went through a little bit of a struggle uh, mid to late season for about a six, seven game stretch. Um, I actually had a similar um, issue last year at Rice where I had a uh, six, seven-game stretch at nearly identical times in the season um, where I just wasn't playing well, wasn't playing to you know, my, my best abilities. I kind of took a look in the mirror and tried to figure out what was going on wrong and kind of I talked to the coaches and I tried to figure it out, watch film, and I just kind of decided I got to start being more aggressive. I, I thought I lost a little bit of confidence, and thankfully uh, I think it was toward uh, – Stanford and Oregon games late in the year that I was able to kind of get my groove back and, you know, start contributing to where I was earlier in the season and stuff like that. And um, now we get results with, you know, we're all just kind of in a rhythm now. We're all playing at our peak performance, which is just going to be so vital as we head into these, uh, you know, last couple of weeks in the season. 
One last thing that Isaiah said was that when you guys all play with confidence, he doesn't think you guys can be beat. It seems like everyone is playing at that level. It seems like everyone knows their role right now. It seems like you're playing your best basketball. So what is this team capable of a potential next two weeks? I think we're capable of winning it all, um, to be honest. Um, you know, it's a tall task to claim that. Um, you know, in the beginning of the season, obviously, uh, you're kind of putting pieces together. It's a new roster. It's a crazy year. You don't really know what to expect. But especially after last night, I think we're all just extremely confident that we can win this thing. And so we're coming into every game with, uh, you know, a little bit of a chip on our shoulder and confidence that we can really do this because, you know, it's a lot different sitting in the round of 64 versus now, um, you know, 16 teams left. And it's kind of any given night, anything can happen. So um, we're coming into these next few weeks with a lot of confidence. Well, Drew, thank you so much for taking the time with us. We wish you guys the best of luck on Sunday going up against Oregon. Hope for a great game there, and we'll see what this team can do to try to continue to push their way through the NCAA tournament. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks to Drew for jumping on a chat with us from Indiana. We'll now switch gears and bring on Keeley and Chris. They're in the studio while I'm recording today, and... Honestly, I couldn't stand Chris giving me the sad puppy dog face any longer. So we're letting them on. We're letting them participate. So what USC Hoops topics do you guys have for me today? Well, we actually have a couple questions for you, Shoddy, that I want to slip into this pod. We got a question from our buddy Samuel who said, do you think they'd try to continue to ride the zone defense next game or switch back mostly to man with Oregon being one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country? I think they're going to mix it up. They can use different defenses and keep Oregon off balance. While the Oregon does shoot well from outside, their zone isn't giving up a ton of open looks. You know, they're flying around all over the place. It's not like Kansas was getting a bunch of open looks. So I think that's the biggest difference. You know, can you guard the ball screens and stuff that, that Oregon does? You know, USC wants to play man. They What Oregon does really well that's unique is that they have – a five in Eugene Omarui, who's only like six six, so they can take you out to the wing and then try to drive by you against you know, uh, other bigs. But you can't really do that against the Mobley brothers, so that's why USC matches up pretty well with Oregon. Uh, so I think they'll just continue to mix their defenses up. The zone defense, one of the things it does is gives the big man, you know, Evan Mobley, if he's in the middle of the lane, gives him a little bit of break. So if you need to, you can you can rest him a little bit while he's still on the floor. We had a question from Rob who said, how does the 85-51 win last night for USC basketball stack up with the 55-19 win from the BCS days for you guys? Keely is old enough to remember 55-19, right? Yes, (laughs) but barely. (laughs) We did do a rewatch of the game with Sean Cody. We did, and that rewatch motivated me to get glasses because if you look at that, if you rewatch the rewatch, I'm squinting (laughs) the whole time. So she may be old enough to remember it. She doesn't know what she saw during it. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> I don't know, Chris, what do you think? Um, you know, looking at this, the, the difference is it's not a national championship game. If True. USC did that to a, a team and that's what won the national championship, I think it really stands out. It is, you know, it's a premier program like Oklahoma is in football and the fact that it's a Big 12 program. But I don't think it's quite the same. Chris? Context matters. So it being on the national stage of the Orange Bowl for all the marbles against a fellow blue blood like Oklahoma, which was like steamrolling people, I think that pushes it over the top. But I think you're in the conversation. It's not 
on the on par. If this was had been in like the final four, I would yeah. give it a little more cachet to that, but still gotta go Orange Bowl. I think there's two differences here. Is one, this isn't the traditional powerhouse Kansas team. This mm-hmm. isn't a number mm-hmm. one seed. Mm-hmm. You know, if they did this to Gonzaga or even a Michigan or Illinois, uh, you know, Illinois has already been put out. But if you did it to a one seed, it stands out a little bit more. Those aren't the great best examples. They're not blue buds. But I think it stands out more then. And also the timing of it matters. But I think one interesting thing is that you talked about how it was blue blood versus blue blood for the Orange Bowl. This is upstart versus blue blood. So for the basketball side, I think it definitely stands out there. I would give you that. Um, even though it doesn't have, you know, the number one seed or, you know, just the quality of team of Kansas compared to their teams in the past. If you do if you did that to number one overseed Gonzaga, then come talk to me. Woo, yeah, then come would, talk to that me. That would be quite impressive. That would that would break the internet. <laughs> if you did that to number one overseed Gonzaga. I think USC fans would just like turn off. Like just brain fried. they're done the bots would be over done our final question comes from jason and he says with both teams similarly seated and coming off unexpected blowouts of higher seated midwest foes which team is coming in with a bigger chip on their shoulder oregon for losing to usc in the regular season or usc for oregon's quote-unquote stealing the regular season title and which one is better suited to capitalize on that chip I mean, I think the immediacy of the Isaiah Mobley comments will give Oregon a little bit more of a chip. Um, the fact that he's making those comments tells me that USC's players, you know, this bothers them. So that that stands out to me too because I didn't wasn't necessarily thinking about that when I was like, oh, they're playing Oregon. That wasn't the first thing that popped in my mind. But that tells you that something that coming off this big blowout, he's thinking about that as well, going up against Oregon. So I think both teams are going to be completely motivated for this. I don't think there's going to be any lack there. I don't think anyone's going to be like come out of the game like, oh, we they were just more motivated than us because of this particular chip or that particular chip. I think it's going to be a great matchup, and it should be interesting because – it is a unique matchup with the way that Oregon spreads the court out and can shoot it versus the way that USC can defend and has big dudes. We did see Iowa was able to dominate down low against Oregon. Luca Garza had 34, 36 points. I think USC can do the same thing with the Mobley brothers, but they can also guard those wings, which Iowa wasn't able to do in the same regard. So I think it's a good matchup for USC, but Oregon's been playing really well, and anything can happen in the tournament, especially when one team gets hot if the other other team can't keep up. As someone who has covered USC teams that get a little chatty, it's been interesting watching a team actually do both, talk the talk and walk the walk, (laughs) at least for now. This could age poorly on Sunday, but it's just interesting because I've seen a lot of uh, uh, crawling on fields and things not going well, so... It's different for me. They also haven't. They're not the most chatty bunch, though. No, but but what I'm saying is like they they walked the walk. Like they were just good, and then you know, and then you have a win like this, and they got a little chatty at the end. But I just think it's interesting. You know, I, I feel like for football, it's a little bit the opposite. I, I think it's I think it's much different, and I think it stems from it's not like they were on the court dancing and stuff after the win. You know, they're celebrating like they would, but it wasn't something where people were like noting. Oh, that looks, that doesn't look like, like USC's football players taking pictures in between the quarters and people freaking out about it. You know, I don't think there's anything that really caught people's eye and they said, well, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? That's an embarrassment type of thing. Because there's some old school people with some of the football things that go, you should never do that. You know, you got to play the game the right way type of thing. 
I don't think the the basketball players do that. And I think it stems from the fact that their best player is so calm, so cool, so collected at all times, never shows much emotion. And when your best player is like that, it, it kind of radiates around him. Even you know, it, it's different because basketball is much more superstar driven and there's so many fewer players. So even when Sam Darnold was like that, you didn't see the same from the rest of the team around him. So I think the, the basketball is a little bit different there. And this team, I think they, they handle themselves well. They, they go about their business. They have a couple guys that, that chatter during games. You know, they got the big technical in the Colorado game that, that cost them, you know, when you lose by two points, but overall, I think they're, they're pretty, you know, just pretty focused. You know, they've they've been really they've really bought into each other and play for each other. And throughout this whole three month period, where they can't go out and do anything different, you can't go out and go bowling or go to a movie or whatever. You know, it's been all about this team, and they've they've come together at the right time. I also wanted to throw a Twitter comment someone made. Actually, I believe you know this person, Max Meyer. Oh yeah, I do tweeted i would take five more years of clay helton for a final four appearance or a national championship no usc fans taking that right no there are some usc fans that are taking that which are the usc basketball diehards and it's a very small small group that is slowly there's like some people coming around the circle they're like hey what's going on in there type of thing um but they're the, the only ones no usc your general USC sports fan or USC football fan is definitely not taking. They're the guys. There's like the four guys at the party who are really into IPAs in the corner talking about IPAs. <laughs> well, and like no one knows what their deal is, but they're all like really about the IPAs. Max was really into USC basketball, so that oh, would okay. explain that. Yes. Okay, yeah. that means it's a basketball school, right? You threw that one on Twitter. I saw. Are you just throwing all the bad takes out there right now? Sorry, Max. You don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I'll let him know that he's. Featured. featured if USC yes. wins the championship, are they an interim basketball school, probationary basketball school? No, they're they're not a basketball school. You know, if if Kansas football wins, are they a football school? No, but Kansas football is not making <laughs> the college football playoff. Do I have to come up with another North Carolina? If North Carolina wins with Mac Brown, you just started with there. That's a better one. Well, they just play Kansas. Kansas just fired their coach. It's in my head, which tells you they're bad. Uh, okay, <laughs> if Mac Brown makes it, do you consider now North Carolina's a football school? No. Okay, then that's the same thing. Same thing with Duke, with Cutcliffe. They're okay. They're not going to, you know, if they make it to the college football playoff, you go, wow, this is now a football school. They win a national championship. You'd be really impressed, but no, you wouldn't think that. If you win three out of four or something like that, then maybe, but no, just one championship now. I said probationary, by the way. But like, then I'm a you probationary changed, member. You changed it to would it be if they win? I think I did. I think you did. Keely, let us know later <laughs> if I said that. I'll do. All right, all right. That's enough out of you two. I don't need you correcting me on my own podcast here. That's going to be it for you two. That's it. I'm wrapping this up. That's it for this edition of the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast, part of the Peristyle podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you again to Drew Peterson for joining us earlier. Thank you all to listening. Thank you for the questions. Thanks for Keely and Chris for jumping on for a minute. And we'll hope that you guys will come back and join us next episode of the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast. Peace. 
chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+.